do you follow that cuteness, Doug? Well, good morning. Good morning and good morning to all of you at home. I'm so glad to see so many of you who I haven't seen for a long time. And those who I have seen, I like you all. Um, I want to start with a question this morning for you. What story drives your life? What story do you tell yourself that gives your life purpose, that gets you out of bed in the morning, that influences how you spend money and where you choose to live and how you choose to live and what kinds of things you give your life to? Do you know? What story drives your life? And there might be more than one, actually. Sometimes we have competing stories in our heads that drive our life and that drive us crazy. The human brain is a storytelling machine. It's how we make sense of life. And it is a beautiful, brilliant, God-given gift. But it can also be our greatest downfall. Because sometimes the stories we tell ourselves that drive our lives are false and damaging and unhealthy. One of the greatest examples in the entire world of this kind of story driving one's life is this man, uh, Ricky Bobby, from the movie Talladega Nights. For those of you who aren't familiar, you might want to watch it. For those of you who are familiar, you understand that Ricky Bobby, the hero of Talladega Nights, whole life was organized around one narrative that he picked up from his dad. If you ain't first, you're last. And that one story drove Ricky Bobby's whole life until the very end of the movie when you realize his dad didn't even believe this story in the first place. You can take him down, Johnny, because I'm going to talk about Jesus now. (laughs) Sharp corner. Jesus came into the world partly to bring a restart, to bring a new story, to bring a fresh framework for life into a world where might made right, where power was more important than people, where religion had become about rules, And where God's original intent seemed to have slipped right through humanity's fingers. And in his most famous set of teachings, we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out this whole new storyline that he offers for people to believe in and to live by. Jesus Christ offered, and he still offers, to all who would believe a restart. And we believe that Jesus' story about how we are to live is the very best story there is. And so we're going to spend these next four weeks in May looking at four different aspects of Jesus' story about how life should work. We're going to talk about how to navigate anger, how to put worry in its place, how to give up judging other people, and how to love our enemies. So buckle up. And this morning's text 
comes from the Gospel of Luke, Luke's rendition of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And when we pick up the text that we're going to look at, just one short text, I want you to understand that Jesus was speaking to people who lived under the oppressive and violent Roman government. And this government actually sought to do the Jewish people harm. So I want you to understand that Jesus' listeners, when he, sh- when he told them this new way of life, they had real enemies. And in this world that Jesus brought this new teaching to, people lived by what was, what was called the law of reciprocity. I want you to understand this. This is a passage from the Old Testament that kind of tells you what the law of reciprocity was. Anyone who injures their neighbor is then to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Right? We would call this tit for tat. You do that to me, I do the same thing back to you. And I want you to understand that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a fracture for a fracture was an upgrade compared to how the world was run before Leviticus was written. Back then it was run by what was called the law of escalation, meaning if someone hits you, you hit them back harder. I watched this law of escalation happen several years ago in our home when out of the blue, my then teenage son tackled my husband Chuck and threatened to butter him with a butter knife. I don't understand how these things happen, right? We didn't even have COVID or quarantine or anything. Chuck, my husband, then escalated the violence, actually buttering my son's ear. Will then escalated even more, announcing that he was going to peanut butter Chuck. And later, Chuck then escalated even further by announcing he was going to leave a butter knife in front of Will's door while he slept, threatening him the entire night with potential violence in the morning. The law of escalation, ladies and gentlemen, at work in my home. Now, in human history, so there was this law of escalation, then there was an upgrade, right, with the Old Testament law of reciprocity, an eye for an eye, and then Jesus comes into that world, and he invites all who would listen, not into a new law, but into a new way of life, into a better story. And this is what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. But to you who are listening... I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Look at what strong words Jesus used. He talks about enemies, those who hate, those who curse you, those who mistreat you. But he uses equally strong words to describe how we are to respond to this kind of behavior when he says, love, do good, bless, and pray. The most powerful word here is the verb love. 
love your enemies, Jesus said. This word agapeo in the Greek was almost only used in Christian writing. People had never really heard of it before. It was unique. Now, when we think of love, when I think of love, I mean, I think of some kind of warm, syrupy feeling in my stomach, right? Maybe some butterflies or like a phrase like, I love pizza, or I love the Formula One series on Netflix. Have any of you watched that? I love it so much. My family's shocked and amazed, but Formula One, Netflix. No, agape love refers not to a feeling. It refers to an action. And so when Jesus tells his listeners, listen, I'm calling you to agapeo your enemies. You love your enemies. He's not saying, I'm hoping that you might have warm feelings in your heart toward them. No. He's saying, no matter how you feel, those who want to live in my Father's good kingdom must learn, start to learn, to actively pursue God's best toward their enemies. Those who want to follow me, those who want to live in my Father's good kingdom, must learn to actively pursue God's best toward their enemies. And it will take practice, and you will fail, and I will forgive you. This command has nothing to do with responding to people based on how we feel. Because you know what? That doesn't take skill or faith or anything. Shoot, that's the way my dog lives, okay? I feel for something, I'm going to do it. That's just the way of the world. So how do we do this, Jesus? How do we love our enemies? Thankfully, Jesus tells us exactly what he means. This is our application for the morning. Do good, bless, and pray. Three active words. Very active words. Because Jesus wanted his listeners to understand this kind of behavior is not the kind of thing we will accidentally do. This kind of behavior toward enemies is a choice. A choice Jesus expects his followers to start to practice. So when we're threatened with the butter knife of the enemy, we are to respond with agapeo love. We first of all seek to do good. And that sounds, that means just what it sounds like. When someone hates us, we choose to do an active good thing back. And when this happens, and it is so rare, the world stands at attention, and our enemies are shocked. And when an enemy curses us, meaning they make a statement to us or about us that implies, I wish you didn't exist, we are not to curse them back. We're to bless them, meaning we are to speak words that imply to our enemy, it is good you are alive. May God look kindly on you. And when this happens, and it is way too rare, the world stands at attention, 
and our enemies are shocked. And when we are mistreated, we don't mistreat back. Instead, we pray that God would bring good things into the lives of our enemies. And when this happens, and it is way too rare, the world stands at attention. And our enemies are shocked. Quick time out. Because I have to say this. If you are being abused or mistreated in a relationship, in your marriage, in your family, in a friendship, first you leave and get to safety, okay? You report the abuse. And if you don't know how to do that, I can help you. And then you pray. Okay, if you are suffering in this way, you come talk to me because I can help. With that important caveat, I want you to hear this so clearly this morning. Enemy love was the distinctive mark of Jesus when he lived in this world. And enemy love is to be the distinctive mark of those of us who follow Jesus. So I want you to think about this last year. How are we doing? How are we doing with this? Jesus says, respond to your enemies, any, anybody with whom you disagree or you don't get along, with radical love and goodness and blessing and prayer. And do you know why? Because that is how God responds to us each and every day of our lives. So let's talk for just a minute about some venues in our life where we could start to practice this kind of enemy love and we could start to bring change into our little corners of the world in ways I don't think we can even imagine. So we're going to start broad and then we're going to bring it closer and closer and closer. I want to talk first of all about our broader community, people we might disagree with around issues of politics, or race, or gender issues, or COVID protocols, <laughs> okay? It's, see, you can take that, you can take that down, Johnny. Can you take that down, verse? Okay. It seems that our world has fallen into a pattern of hostility, contempt, and hatred toward those with whom we disagree. Am I right? It's just the way things are. And into the midst of all of this ugliness stand millions of Christ followers who have gotten duped into believing that if someone has a different view from mine, then this commandment of Jesus to love my enemies doesn't apply. And we think, you know what, as long as the hate is directed towards someone who feels like my enemy, then it's fine, right? I can even maybe cheer it on. I have done this too recently. My Christian friends at Orchard Hill Church, friends from places all across the political spectrum, with all kinds of views and opinions, 
It is time for all of us to be obedient to Jesus in this part of our lives. Because see, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care what people outside of this church, people on TV, other kinds of leaders say. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those with different views. Bless them verbally. Pray for God's best to happen in their lives, regardless of how we feel. Jesus cares more about how we treat people with whom we disagree than he cares about what views we hold on certain issues. I believe this at my core. Jesus cares more about how we treat people with whom we disagree than he cares about what views we hold. God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. God is not an American. God is not white or black or brown or yellow. God is not male or female. God is God, and we are not. And when we forget this, we lose our way. We're not following God. We're following a dangerous, different story than Jesus' story. So let's bring this even closer to home. Let's talk about how do we love our enemies in our marriage or our closest friendships? Yikes. <laughs> what? Answer me this. Why do the people we love the most often feel like enemies? Can anyone answer this question for me? Am I the only one who wonders this sometimes? Chuck, you wonder this, don't you? Chuck wonders it. Hmm. <laughs> what do we do when this reality rears its ugly head? In our marriages, with our best friends, with someone in our family, what do we do when they feel like enemies? We go back to Jesus. Agapeo love is not about how we feel. It is about what we do. And when our closest people become our enemies, we work the plan that Jesus laid out for us. We do good. We ask ourselves, what would make them happy right now? And we do it. What would help them grow as a person? And we do it. What could I do to let them know I love them even though I don't feel like it right now? And then we do it. If you need a little secret, subversive, kind of wicked motivation for this, look at this verse from Romans 12, 20. I hope you like it as much as I do. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You might want to write that down, put it on your mirror. Isn't that fabulous? We do good and we bless. When our closest people feel like enemies, we bless them 
You can put the next slide up, Johnny. Because this happens to me, and I bet it happens to you. When the people closest to us start to feel like enemies, we start to think what we're going to do is tell them everything that's wrong with them. And you know what that is? That's cursing. But we're instead supposed to bless them. And so what we need to do is we need to start talking to them about their strengths, how we see God working in them, what we admire about them. And if this is hard in the moment, which it will be, maybe when you're feeling good about them, make a little list and memorize it. And then when you're feeling mad or angry or they're like your enemy, you can refer to it. We need to pray for them, Jesus says. And I'm not talking about that needly little whiny, mean-spirited prayer like, dear God, please make Chuck a better person, like kind of like me, actually. Or, dear sweet tiny baby Jesus, I ask you to help Alice not be so selfish, God. Help her to stop taking up 90% of her closet and to please stop chewing with her mouth open. Lord, ask God to bless them. Ask God to heal the hurt in their lives. Ask God to show mercy on them. Ask God to make them whole and healthy. Love your enemies, Jesus says, even when you are married to them. Even when you are divorced from them. Even when you have to drive in the car with them. Even when they share your last name. Even when they are the people you love most in this whole wide world. And one last place. And I think this is the most tender place where we're called to love our enemies. Because I think one of the most formidable enemies many of us face is the enemy we see in the mirror every morning. Self-hatred is one of the greatest threats to the Christian life. And I think for many of us, the primary task of our lives is to learn to see ourselves as God sees us. And God sees each and every one of us even before he sees our sin. Did you you see how Doug talked to these little children up here? God sees each and every one of us as his beloved daughters, as his beloved sons. And when we spend all of our time dwelling on the things that are wrong with us and wasting our energy on self-hatred and self-rejection, we wound the heart of our Father and we reject the voice of his that calls us good. And the truth is, Jesus knew that the extent to which we live as his beloved child equals the extent to which we can love our spouse or our neighbor or our enemy. So how on earth do we love our enemy when our enemy is ourself? We go back to agapeo love. We remember it's not about feelings and we work the plan. This is how we love ourselves when ourself is the enemy. We do good. This rarely gets said in church. But we find ways to be kind and good to ourselves. We pursue things that bring us life and joy and gratitude and that God would smile upon. We give up guilt and regret for Lent. And if Lent is past, then give it up for May. I don't know. We, we allow ourselves rest when we need it. 
We practice good boundaries. It's okay to say no. We treat yourself as if you would treat a really good friend or like you would treat the cutest puppy, right? You're not going to be mean to a puppy, are you? We bless ourselves, right? Be done demeaning yourself with words in your head. Tell the critical voices that they are liars, because they are. I sometimes have to say things out loud to myself. Do any of you do this? I just had back surgery two weeks ago, and I had to learn a fresh way to roll over in bed. I won't explain it to you, but it... Uh, it involved a series of moves, let's just say that. So 28 times a night, <laughs> when I rolled over correctly, I would whisper to myself, good job, honey. <laughs> Who else is going to say it? Or even after I do something hard, like making a phone call, am I the only one who hates talking on the phone? I finish a phone call and I say, now that was a good bit of work, sis. Good job. You can do it. Bless your own self when you feel like your enemy. And pray. Beloveds, it is okay to pray for yourself and your needs. Jesus said we could ask God for our daily bread. We could trust him to be the giver of good gifts. We can ask him for the things we need and want. We can only truly love others to the extent that we allow ourselves to live in the flow of God's love for us. And self-hatred blocks that love and keeps us from loving even those closest to us, not to mention our enemies. You. You. You are the beloved daughter. You are the beloved son of your father in heaven. Love your enemies, Jesus said. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. You can put that verse up, Johnny. And pray for those who mistreat you. Why? Because this is how God treats us every single day of our lives. And because agapeo love will cause the world to stand at attention. And it will cause our enemies to stand in shock. And agapeo love best demonstrated by Jesus the Christ crucified for us has been and always will be the only thing in this world that has the power to win over hate, to bring good from evil, and to be light shining in the darkness. It is the best story to live by. Let's pray. God, it's been a year, and for so many of us, uh, me included, I have sometimes lived as if your words don't apply to me. I have forgotten the good story that lies at the heart of the gospel, and I've made up stories in my head that cause me to live in ways that shrink my soul and that harden my heart. 
and that don't bring me life and freedom and joy. And they certainly don't bring those things to people around me. And I have a feeling, God, that my friends in this room and listening to my voice have struggled in the same way. So God, would you give us a restart? That is one of your very best signature moves. We ask for your forgiveness, God. And we ask that you would embed this verse, this passage, deep within our hearts this week and help us in your power and in your strength to start to be the kind of people who live by the law of agapeo love. We pray this all in Jesus' good name.